Last week, I drove out to Columbus, Ohio to be with friends and to watch Beautiful, the musical, which I tried to do in 2020, but obviously couldn't. So as I was driving, I had lots of time to catch up on podcasts because I'd gotten a little bit behind on my favorite ones. And so I was listening to one that has really stayed with me. It was the most recent episode of Unlocking Us that's hosted by Dr. Brene Brown. And she had her friend Karen Wolrand on, which surprised me because Karen had just been on talking about her newest book, which I recommend, um, Lightmaker's Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. But you see, Dr. Brown was struggling to find joy, so she reached out to her friend. When asked how she was doing, she responded with, I'm not falling apart, but I'm perpetually not okay. Friends, I am not ashamed to say that that one sentence resonated with my soul as it has with many other souls. To hear someone like Brene Brown say something like that gives permission for others to say it so that we can work on returning to a place of joy. Her act of reaching out and her courage to share it with the world was inspiring. And what they eventually came to in their conversation is that in the midst of a world where the ground keeps moving just when you think you've found stable ground, you can only control how you respond. You can't control the ground. When the people came to Jesus to tell him about how Pilate had defiled the sacred ritual of the Galileans, they were coming to him because the ground was shifting beneath them and they wanted to make it solid again. They wanted answers that would make the world better. Perhaps these people had done something wrong, they said, that angered God. So God sent Pilate to make their sacrifices unclean, because why else would that happen? It certainly couldn't be because Pilate himself was cruel and corrupt. You see, we as human beings, we have brains that will fill in stories and details that make everything make sense so that we can be safe. We can't change the actions of others. We can't control authorities that choose cruelty or power over people. So it must be something we can control. This is what our brains do. If we do everything just so, God will love us, and we won't fall into the same situation as those people over there. But did you notice what Jesus does? Jesus very quickly disabuses them of this properly held notion. This is what these two recollections of horrible events is about. We don't have a God that brings about disaster of any magnitude for the sake of correcting behavior. We just don't. Our brains go there because we can't stand the ambiguity of bad things happening because that's what life is with human beings. It's much easier to presume punishment from God proportional to their offenses. They must have done something bad. And Jesus says to them and to us, because we still do that, our hearts and our souls still believe this on some level. So Jesus says, no, that is not what is happening here. Sometimes bad things just happen. And because bad things sometimes happen, and sometimes happen really quickly, turn your eyes to yourself, to what you can control. And then Jesus interjects into these two stories 
this saying, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Which I must tell you, friends, seems to contradict his negating of the very human condition to assign causality to misfortune that he has just spoken about. But if we zoom out a little bit and take a look at the Gospel of Luke as a whole, we will notice that the theme of repentance and bearing good fruit is woven throughout the Gospel. I mean, we hear it at the very beginning of his ministry, right? That when John the Baptist is calling for repentance, when he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits of repentance. And those fruits of repentance, as people ask him, well, what should we do? It looks like sharing your coats and your food when you have more than you need. It looks like treating people with fairness and not collecting more money than required. It looks like people in authority not exhorting money out of other people so that they can line their pockets. And then in Luke 6, we hear the blessing and the woes. We talked about that about a month ago. And then we're called to love our enemies and not judge others, but work on our own behavior and actions before Jesus reminds us that good fruit is the product of a good tree. And a good person with a good treasure of the heart produces good. And so we see Luke making the connection between good fruit and a good tree to a good heart. And then in Luke 8, we have the story of the sower. You remember that one? He just takes seed and willy-nilly it, throws it all over the place. And those seeds find a variety of soil and have a variety of success at growing and producing fruit. But it's the one with the good soil. That's the one who bears good and plentiful fruit. Repentance is deeply connected to good fruit, to actions that make our world a better place for all people. And so Jesus is asking people in this story to stop trying to figure out why bad things happen to folks so that they can somehow avoid the same thing. Instead, Jesus encourages them and us to work on what they can control themselves. Repent. But don't repent so you won't go to hell, which is what we often equate repentance with, but so that you can withstand what is to come. Because the Greek here in this passage is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word shuv, which part of its meaning is to go home or to return to God. In a life that is unpredictable, is scary, is violent, is unjust, Jesus is saying return to God. Return to the source of our life and joy and hope. And from this place, we will be able to persevere through whatever life brings. This is why the gardener asks for another year. He changes his approach to the tending of the fig tree and moves to more advanced agricultural techniques so that the tree could have a chance to bear good fruit. Returning to God, repenting, is an intentional time where we nurture our roots, our soul, our good fruit hearts, which is not unlike Lent, which is our built-in reminder to return to God that we are called to love with all that we are. The most basic of commandments will always bring us back, will always return us to home. 
That commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then another one is tacked on, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do this, we break the cycle of trying to make everything make sense. We stop worrying about the splinter in our neighbor's eye. We stop trying to control everything around us and work on the things that we actually have control over, ourselves. Because remember, this call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself isn't a law of a punitive God. It isn't God saying, do this so you don't go to hell. Do this to appease me with your diligence and find my favor. That is not our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is an invitation. It's an invitation into the deep love of God where we will find the peace and strength we need for this life of ours. Those who first heard this commandment way back in Deuteronomy did their best to do that. And they didn't even have Jesus. They did not know the depth of God's love that would carry Jesus to the cross and then to the grave only to be risen again. Also that we, human beings, would know without a doubt the depth of God's love for all of creation. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is an invitation to that kind of love. And this is repentance. This is a returning to the kind of love that turns our focus from fear of judgment to the courage of loving. Which is why not being able to find joy was a red flag for Dr. Brown. Because at the heart of her need to find joy is the knowledge that joy is what fuels us for the hard work ahead. If we can't find joy, if we can't return to the home base of love, we will not survive. We will be like those Galileans. We will be like those at Salome. When you're feeling perpetually not okay, return home. Nourish yourselves with the love of God. And dear friends, that starts right here in this place, surrounded by these people who are searching for God's love just as much as we are. Come to the table and experience God's love. Come to the table where we are made beautiful. On Ash Wednesday, you received a handout. It looked like this. It was called a Reflective Assessment Tool, which sounds like a really fancy name for something boring, but it's not. It's a tool designed to help you return to God, to take stock of where are you in your life and what do you need to do to come home to God's love. If you didn't get one, there are copies at the back of the church and friends online, there are copies online. Y'all, this world is a mess. Can I get amen? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And as we try to make sense of it, which I don't think is possible, but let's remember Jesus' warning here and seek out God, returning to the love and joy that fuels us all to make beauty out of this dusty world for the sake of the world. And let's do this work together, seeking each other out, supporting and caring for one another in the way that God cares for us, even and especially when we don't always agree with each other. 
trusting in Jesus who dared to do that very thing and even dared to die for sinners such as us. And in the midst of the shifting ground that our world is, our feet will find the solid ground of God's love. Amen.